0: You know, uh, we have a lot of people absent, Uh, people squeezing in that uh, last trip, thank you, squeezing in that last trip before uh, you just get into the total fall routine, and uh, so please pray for all of our folks who are vacationing and traveling and uh, that, that the Lord will bless them with a safe trip back to us. Uh, One brief announcement I want to make before I get started. Um, All of you wonderful people who participated in the Vacation Bible School program this summer, uh, thank you so much, but would you please get all the stuff out of the office? There's a lot of stuff. That is not a storage room. And so, please, if you left some things in that office, would you please clear it out? We appreciate that. All right. Today, we're going to talk for a little while about the church. Before I do so, I want to just take the liberty to, to mention uh, I'm really, really happy to have uh, Alan, our brother, with us today. He's been out for some time. Yes. And I especially want uh, you to show him some love today. He recently uh, had a sister pass away, and uh, he is certainly grieving that loss. And so, anyway, we just, uh, our prayers are with you, Alan, and we're just really happy that you're in our midst today. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the church a little bit. Through the gospel. Through that wonderful, beautiful message of Jesus and all that he has done for us, we are called to become members of a community of believers, referred to as the church, the ecclesia. And so we need to understand that. When you become a Christian, when you become a Christ follower, you become a part of a community. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Bible says about uh, all of those people who made that commitment to follow Jesus through baptism, those people were added every day to the number of believers. The Lord added them to this group of people. And so the church is a community of believers, and its origins are found in the fact that God calls people out of a life of sin and evil to a different kind of life, a Jesus kind of life, a life of love. And as people share that and live together in that community, they make up what we call the church, One of the things that God calls Christians to do is assemble for worship on the Lord's day for centuries, every Sunday, every first day of the week for over 2,000 years. It's a tradition that has gone for over 2,000 years. Isn't that incredible? Every first day of the week, wherever in the world, Christians have assembled to worship God, they have done so because that's who they are. That's who they are. If the church did not assemble regularly, you could not correctly refer to it as a church because that word, ekklesia, that's the Greek term that the English word church has been translated into, that word literally refers to an assembly of people. That's what it is. And so we got to be careful here because sometimes people want to say that church doesn't mean anything as long as I have a personal relationship with God, as long as I individually am connected with God, then I don't need a church. And so coming together, assembling, worshiping together, eh, that's not for me. I'm going to take a walk in the forest and I'll connect with God better there. Well, maybe you do connect with God better there. But the fact is, if you are church, if you're a Christian, then of necessity you assemble with other Christians. That is the nature of the people of God. It is the nature of the community itself. And so we should not minimize the importance of God's people coming together for the purpose of encouraging one another and worshiping God. Don't ever minimize that. I think sometimes we deal in extremes and the pendulum swings way too far one way and then way too far the other way when people react to that. Let's find a healthy biblical balance, okay? So, One extreme would be, ah, we don't need church. Church is not important. Assembly is not important. And on the other (laughs) hand, uh, people say, well, that's, that's not even the church anyway, you know. The other view that church is unimportant or assembly doesn't matter or we put too much focus on the assembly, that's one thing. Another thing is that, well, that's all there is to it is assembly. Those are the extremes. All there is to it is an assembly. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you interact. It doesn't matter whether or not you interact. It doesn't matter what kind of community you have. As long as you go to church on Sunday, you're good with God. Those are two extremes, and neither one of them are right, really. Neither one of them are biblical. And so in order to be biblical, in order to follow God's will, God's plan, and let God decide what goes on here, let's pay attention to some things in Scripture. Uh, Number one, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't stop meeting together. No, that's not God's plan for community. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you can't call it go to church. Well, yes, you can because that's what it is. So let's not get carried away with our uh, emotions and go too far one way or the other. The fact is church means assembly, okay? And let's accept that. That's okay. That's good. Assembly is a very vital part of what it means to be a Christian. Is that everything there is to it? Absolutely not, and we're going to talk about that a lot as we continue. The church is the body of Christ, the Bible says, so it functions like a physical body. And as a physical body, it is subject to the head. Your body does whatever your head tells it to do. The head is Christ. The head of the spiritual body of the church is Christ. And so, therefore, ideally, theoretically, biblically, the church should function, operate, act, live however you want to say it as Jesus directs it. Because the head tells the body what to do. So, the body has many parts, many parts of a body. Many parts of my physical body, many parts of the spiritual body, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begins to enumerate some of those body parts. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So collectively, all the body parts together make up the body, right? Right? Then he mentions in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes on uh, listing a whole bunch of other gifts and roles and things in the church. But I just wanted to make the point there that within the body, there are different body parts. When we look in a mirror, we get it. When we look at each other, we understand that concept. Many different body parts to a body, right? Right? In particular, in the passages that I'm going to look at, two body parts are apostles and prophets. Revelation 18, verse 20, that's a passage talking about the destruction of Babylon. Not literal Babylon, but spiritual Babylon, which is Rome. And so in the context of talking about a prophecy, a prediction of what's going to happen to the Roman empire and everything, he says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Notice this, the saints. But then out of the saints, the Christians, there are two groups of people that are mentioned, apostles and prophets. In Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, he gave The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. So there we have the apostles and prophets, and then we have some other folks that are mentioned. These are body parts, okay? These are body parts. These are not all of the body parts. A lot more body parts than this, but these are some of the body parts that are supposed to function by training or equipping the other body parts to do the work of ministry. Okay? Now, it is interesting in Scripture that apostles and prophets are found together primarily in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. Here in Revelation we find this. And um, maybe a couple of other places, but primarily these people are coupled together in Ephesians, which is a book about the church, pretty much, and in 1 Corinthians, in a section where he's talking about the church. Now, in Ephesians 2, which we're gonna look at in detail in a few moments, you'll find that the Bible says that the church was built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. We're going to talk about some of that later, but I do want to point out that the apostles and prophets specifically, and they're the only people that the New Testament mentions that As the church was being built, remember Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus built the church. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. Paul said, other foundation can no man lay but that which is laid, which is Jesus. Jesus is the one, the singular foundation. And so there's still a passage of Scripture that says it was built on the apostles and prophets. And so, there's a lot that could be said about that. And there's a rhetorical question there in uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, and in that rhetorical question, I'm, I'm going backwards here. I'm, I mean uh, forwards, I meant to go backwards. In the rhetorical question, he says, are all apostles? Are all apostles? prophets? No. The rhetorical, the answer to the question is an obvious no. In the book of Revelation chapter 21, you get to the end, almost the very end of the New Testament. And in that place, he talks about in glory, in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, he specifically mentions the 12 apostles. And so there's a lot of other information that would cause us to come to the conclusion that there was a body part in the church referred to as apostles and that distinctly those apostles, now the word apostle is used in other places, not referring to just the twelve because the word apostle actually just means messenger. So anytime anybody was sent on a mission, any, anytime a messenger was sent, you could have said, well, that's an apostle. And yet at the same time, the scripture identifies and specifies a certain group of people called apostles. And sometimes, several times in fact, they're just referred to as the 12. The 12. Was there ever an exception to that? Yes. Uh, Saul of Tarsus became who we call the, the Apostle Paul. In his own words, he was one that came along in a different season, at a different time, later. Why are you saying all of this? My point is that the foundation was laid, okay, The foundation was laid, and the apostles are no longer active. We don't have 12 apostles today. They had a purpose. They had a time frame. God chose them specifically, and they did what they were supposed to do. The foundation was laid. We don't have another cornerstone. We have one. Jesus. There's not another Jesus came along. Not another Messiah came along. Not another cornerstone came along. And there hasn't been another foundation either. The Lord's church was built by the Lord himself. And in laying the foundation, in getting it started in other words... Jesus was the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets were the foundation. Now, as we continue, we read that elders were to be appointed in every church. These passages tell us that. But notice there... Man, I keep hitting the wrong button. Notice at the head I I can't hardly read that. I I should have chose a different color font. Pastors, elders, bishops, overseers. I want to make a point here. Anytime any of these words are used, unless it is a specific man talking about himself, Peter said, I am an elder. But any time, any other time than that, when you have a specific person referring to himself alone, Every single time any of these words are used, they're used in the plural, okay? There's more than one. So the church is made up of all these body parts. One of the body parts is elders. And they're supposed to be elders in every church. And it always is in the plural. And so the point I want to make is that at least biblically, There is no such thing as a singular pastor over a church. In fact, the word pastor in the singular is not even, I don't think you can even find it in the New Testament. Now, here's the interesting thing. The term for pastor is actually the word for shepherd, okay? And when you find it in the singular, it's talking about Jesus in the spiritual sense. So Jesus is called the great shepherd. He is the overseer. And so you got all these words, bishops, overseers. It's the same thing. Same word, really. In in the Greek language, it's the same thing. And so... What it shows us is that this body part is simply a function. It is a role. It is activity. It's something the body does. It is a des- these are descriptive terms, okay? And they're all the same body part. This is the same body part. So when the scripture, when the New Testament talks about elders, you got to be careful there because most of the time the word elders is used in the Bible it's referring to the Jewish elders. It's not even talking about Christian people. But in the context of the church, sometimes you find the word elders, and here's here are two of those places. But you might read the word pastors in Ephesians 4:11. What's it talking about? It's talking about elders. Bishops, you might read that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, or 2, or 3. What it's talking about is overseers. It's the same role, okay? And ideally, biblically, there should be more than one over every congregation. That's what it looks like as we read these verses. Now, I'm not going to go into any great detail, but if you'll study carefully Acts chapter 15, you'll find that part of the work or the role of an elder has to do with decision-making. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? How are we going to handle this situation? That's what was going on in Acts 15. The elders were actually working in conjunction with the apostles there over this whole issue about whether Gentiles would be accepted into the body of Christ then in this passage Acts 20 verse 17 Paul is traveling he calls for the elders of a local town and then part of what he says to them he refers to the fact that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers so there's the, the word we had again overseers, bishop. It means they just watch over. And it's kind of the same thing as a pastor, which is a shepherd, remember? The shepherd is watching over the sheep, protecting the sheep, looking out for the sheep, feeding the sheep. We get all of that when we talk about shepherd. That's what a pastor is. A pastor is a shepherd, an overseer. In 1 Peter 5 I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there you go. Uh, at the end of that, he says, be an example to the flock. Now, here's, what, here's some things that the church is told in their relationship. The church is, is told, uh, the younger people are told to be subject to the elders. Remember your leaders. Now, how do I know that leaders here, he's talking about elders or overseers? Well, because if you keep reading in the same context, he specifically refers to it. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, He talks about elders who rule well, uh, worthy of double honor, especially those that labor in preaching and teaching and all of these kinds of things. So there's a lot there when you look at what the Bible says about the role of elders. Now, you're asking, why is he talking about elders? Well, the main reason is because one month from today, we're having our biennial elder affirmation okay in other words once every two years once every other year the congregation has an opportunity to either affirm or to not affirm each one of the elders to determine whether they will continue to serve in that role okay now I realize that other churches have different ways of doing things, and there are different governments in different kinds of churches, and it's quite an interesting study. But anyway, what we typically find in the evangelical world of our day and age is a singular head pastor is at the top of the pyramid and under that man we find uh, a board or group of elders or presbyters or whatever and then there are other positions on down. And in fact, some churches even have that on a chart and you you can see a pyramid. Well, here's the thing about churches. You know, on the one hand, you would have something like, uh, let's say, the Greek Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic Church. Those are typically referred to as high churches. And in a sense, you could almost say they have a very high structure. They have a high regard for structure, for organization, for government. And on that end of the spectrum... You have a very clearly defined hierarchy, and pretty much things filter down, and the churches do whatever comes from the top. On the other end of that spectrum, you have basically what you might call house church. Usually in something like a house church, there is little to no organization and whoever's in the house church is sort of a democracy, and everybody just kind of gets together and talks and decides what they're going to do. And there really is no structure. There is no organization. Uh, But now, most of what we call the Christian world is probably somewhere in between all of that, and there's a lot of things that look different in between all of that. Different churches do things different ways, and, and okay, and I don't think probably any of us uh, have any right to say, hey, we got it all figured out and everybody else is wrong. No, that's probably not a great attitude. But at the same time, the reason, the reasons the Roman Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church or the Anglicans or, or whatever, the reason they do things in this high church way is because they have convictions about those reasons. They do things because they believe that's what God wants them to do. You understand that? Now you, may, you may not agree with them, but that is what they believe the Word of God and their traditions teach. On the other hand, when you have a very loosely organized group, a house church or something, do you know why they're doing what they're doing? Because they believe that's what God wants them to do. They have convictions about that, don't they? They're not just doing that randomly or haphazardly. They have reasons why they're doing that. And most of them, if you talk to them long enough, you will, and listen listen closely, you will hear something like some sort of negativity or condemnation of what's way over here because they don't like this way of doing things and so they're going all the way over here to do it completely different. And we, have, we all have family and friends and we know people that are way over there or way over there or Very various places fair. in the middle. So what about us? Well, first of all, we're not going to condemn those people and we're not going to condemn those people or neither are we going to judge all the people in between, okay? Let's just get that straight. Secondly, we are a church and that means we, we got to do things, whatever we do as a church, we got we to gotta do it however we decide to do it, Right? We're going to do something. Well, what what are we going to use to determine what we do? Well, a lot of things go into that. We'll say, oh, the Bible. We're going to follow the Bible. Of course. And the next church or the next church, if they don't do it the way that we do, well, they're not really following the Bible, are they? Because we are. And a lot of people have that attitude. And I'm going to tell you again, that's not a good attitude. It's not a Christian attitude. It's not a biblical, Christ-like attitude. So what do we do? i tell you what we do. We don't judge our brothers and sisters because their churches might look different than ours. And we don't condemn them. But what we have to do as Christians is we try to do the best that we know how to do. So we get our Bible, and we read, and we study, and we discuss things with each other, and we see what churches do, and that's what we want to do. We want to please the Lord, and so we're trying the best we can. And we try to be accepting, and we try to be fluid, and we try to allow for some diversity and different ways of thinking. But that has a tendency to upset people, doesn't it? If You don't think like I think, well, phooey on you. Or if you think I'm wrong, <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff happens. We need to get over that. We need to get past that. We need to understand that we're all in the greater body of Christ and we're just trying to do the best we can. We're just trying to serve the Lord and whether it is this church here or First Baptist over there or First Methodist over there or St. Luke's over there or whether it's Christ Church over there or the little Pentecostal church over here uh, or the Seventh-day group that meets right here where you're sitting on Saturdays. Do you agree with all the things that all of them do? Well, no. They probably don't agree with each other On everything. That's okay. That's okay. We cannot be responsible for them, and they're not responsible for us. We just love each other. That's our responsibility, to do good, to accept and love each other. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? We're just going to love each other. But when it comes down to how are we going to do church here in this place, You're just going to have to trust your elders. That's why I went through all that elder stuff. Okay? You're just going to have to trust us that we're trying as best we can to look at this church, the people in these pews, these chairs, And have a healthy respect and appreciation for who you are, for what your convictions are, what you believe, because we are shepherding this flock. We're not shepherding any other group of people. We're shepherding this group of people. And every once in a while, what happens in this church is that Daniel wants to do something different. Okay, Daniel, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? You know. And Charles says, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do what Daniel wants to do. And Daniel says, well, Charles, it's better than what we've been doing. And Charles says, no, 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 I wasn't raised like that. I like this tradition. And Daniel says, well, I'm tired of tradition. I don't think the church ought to be run by tradition." And Charles said, Tradition's beautiful. And you see the kind of stuff that happens, and it happens in every church, folks. It happens in every single church on the face of this planet. We are not unique. We're weird, but we're not unique. (laughs) We are somewhere, and this is very interesting to me. We, we actually have some what you would call high church tendencies because we value very highly what Christianity calls the sacraments. We, we value very highly the Lord's Supper and baptism and things like that. Those are big deals to us. And we have traditions on those things, and we want to keep those things. We don't want to mess with those kinds of things. Okay? And somebody says, well, that's the weirdest thing I ever saw, drinking out of one cup. Well, probably the biggest church in the world is the Catholic Church, and that's how they do it. We don't do it because that's the way they do it. But hey... It's not as weird as you think it is because people all over the world, tens and hundreds and thousands of people do it that way every Sunday. And you say, well, I don't like that. Oh, well, okay. 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 That's just kind of who we are. We're odd. We're, We're a little different. But hey, we feel like we can read the Bible and see how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and read those verses and say, hey, that looks pretty good. You know, hey, that's kind of what Jesus did there. So let's go with it. And that's okay. That is okay. That is good. All right? It's good. But we don't have the right to condemn people And judge them and their hearts and their motives and everything else because, hey, they do some things differently or they believe differently than we do. And that's what the church is it's just a bunch of people who are together trying their best to follow Jesus, to do what they have convictions about, to do what they believe the Bible teaches. That's what we're trying to do. So let's just encourage each other in that. Instead of me jumping John's case because he don't see eye to eye on me on everything, why don't I just give him a hug and tell him I love him and give him a blessing for the week? Would that be all right? I think so. I think that's a good thing. Somebody said, well, what about what the Bible says? (laughs) Okay, what about what the Bible says? That's one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ, folks. And you may not appreciate it, but I hope that you live to do. God gives us freedom. He gives us the right to choose. And we're not going to read very far in the Bible till we come across something Some nuance, some way of interpreting it, that we just don't agree on that. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be like some people who have over the years every single thing they disagree with? They just fight each other and reject each other? You can do that if that's what you want to do. That's how you want to live. If that's your version of Christianity, go for it. There are people like you. That's just not who we are. It's not who we are, okay? And I hope you can accept that. I hope you can understand that. We love you. We want you to be here. We want you to accept us. We want to accept you. Are we going to look different and believe a little differently? And our preferences are a little different and One would rather do it this way, and one would rather do it that way. Hey, we made, you know, somebody says uh, during communion, you know, Charles gets down and finishes, and somebody says, "Well, what's what's up with the silence?" Hey, next week we may not have any silence. Next week there may be some music playing. There might be a video up there. Guess what? Either way, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal. It's not a deal breaker. Let's love each other. Let's let the church be the organic, fluid body, the organism that it is made up of all kinds of personalities and people with different backgrounds and different ways of thinking and all of that. Let's understand what it is. And next Sunday, I mean, a a month from this Sunday, if you don't like the way the elders are doing it, you can just you can boot us right out, and here's how it's going to go down, okay? Here's how it's going to go down, and look, look, Martha, if, if, if you vote me out, I'm going to love you just as much as, you know, it got nothing to do with that. might be a big relief. Anyway, uh, so on Elder Affirmation Sunday, here's what this is going to look like, okay? Take note, pay attention. As recorded in the Irving Church bylaws. And so wha- Wait a minute. There ain't no bylaws talked about in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what? Hey, we got to do this some way or another, right? We could have said, as the elders decided last week, we changed our mind and decided we would just cast lots. And whoever's going to be an elder or not be an elder will be determined by that. feel good about that method we got to do it some way so this is how we're going to do it in our bylaws under article 10 entitled amendments to the bylaws addendum c elder evaluation process doesn't that sound official in order to maintain a high level of service in the elder board elders of irving church shall undergo a reaffirmation every two years This process is confidential. Nobody in this church is going to know how you voted, okay? So if you want to just boot old Terry out of there, I'm not even going to know that you did it. Isn't that cool? The process is confidential. Nobody is going to know how you voted unless you tell them. The tabulation of ballots will be done by a third party who is not a member of our church family nor has any relationship with any of the elders, okay? The only information the elders will receive is the final tally of the ballots with no names on it, okay? And any elder who receives less than 50% of the votes they're gonna step down any elder that receives seventy percent or more they will continue for two more years and then we'll do this again in a couple years any elder receiving between fifty and sixty nine percent they can either choose to step down Or, if they want to continue as an elder, they have to go through a predetermined evaluation process. And it's all spelled out in the bylaws, okay? And anybody wants to read the bylaws, all you gotta do is tell us. We'll get you a copy. If you have any comments or suggestions, this is important. One month from now, I want you to remember this thing right here what's on this page. If you have any comments or suggestions, if you want to say why you're not voting for Terry, you really, really want to say why you're not voting for Terry, you just need to come talk to me in private, okay? Is that fair enough? Jordan, if you want to get me down the country, why don't you just come see me and you can do that? (laughs) So... What you're going to be here for on that Sunday, boy, I worded that wrong. Let me totally start over on that one. What we're going to be doing this affirmation process for on that Sunday is simply to ask whether you approve of each elder continuing to serve Irving Church for the duration of two more years until the next elder affirmation on the first Sunday of October in 2021, okay? And somebody said, well, why are you doing this? I thought when you were put in as an elder, uh, you're an elder for life. Well, I don't know anything in the Bible that says that, number one. Number two, sadly, I've lived long enough to know that, you know, somehow or another, Churches need to be protected. Sometimes churches need to be protected from leaders. And so, here it is. Here's what we've put in place uh, for your protection for your good. Okay? All right. This is what it's going to look like. We, I don't know that we're 100% decided if we're going to do this electronically or you're going to get a piece of a card a a literal card on that Sunday. Uh, We got a whole month to figure that out. Anyway, uh, that's what it's going to look like either way. That's what you're going to get. You'll either get that in the email or you'll get a card that looks just like that. And so all you got to do is uh, yes or no. That's it. Yes or no, I approve of this person being an elder the next two years or no. No. I do not approve of that person being an elder the next two years. Okay? Simple as that. So we will probably do this over two Sundays just because, hey, we got a lot of people gone today. So they didn't hear this. And probably on the first Sunday in October, we'll have some people gone then too. So the only way we're going to reach everybody is we got to work at it a little bit. And we may do this a couple of weeks uh, for those that aren't here the first Sunday, okay? All right, well, I have talked a long time and my stomach's growling and probably so is yours. So we're gonna wrap it up, praise song, uh, praise song. Praise team, why don't you come up here and do a song for us and we'll be dismissed and we can go eat some lunch.